Amen. Thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, if you can, take them and turn to me to Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at this morning. And uh, what we've done in the past here is we've been speaking about 1 John, and we've kind of finished up 1 John, and um, I uh, finished chapter 5 in an early service, so uh, if you didn't get to see it because it was in an early service, then uh, I asked them to post it online, so it should be on Sermon Audio, but um, we're, we're talking about a couple things from 1 John, and uh, if you remember from 1 John, we looked at the love for Christ and the love for others that we should all have. Um, and this year, um, for school, I'm teaching in the high school over here, and I, my name is Pastor Bloom. For those of you that don't know me, I haven't been here for uh, up here in a little while, and I know we've got some new faces out in the crowd. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here, and so um, for, and I teach a high school Bible class, and so in high school Bible, we're learning about Revelation, the book of Revelation. And... Um, the book of Revelation, it was interesting because the first chapter in the, in the book that we're teaching out of talks about um, the book of Revelation of comfort and joy. Uh, if you ever read the book of Revelation, it doesn't feel like a whole bunch of comfort and joy, um, but it is when you look at it as we as Christians know Christ and we can have comfort and joy knowing that good wins in the end. Uh, we have comfort and joy knowing that God is in control of all these things. He knows what's going on. He knows the future. He knows the present. Um, and we can trust him in all things. And so um, we're, we're looking at that in the book of Revelation, and we're going through church history, how the churches um, and Christians lived and how they were persecuted and how they responded to certain things. Uh, and then in, um, in youth group on Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Romans. And so we're going chapter by chapter as well through the book of Romans and um, just looking at Paul's letter to the church and how uh, he desires for them to live in this world as well. And so um, today I kind of stayed on that topic, uh, but we went to a different book of the Bible, and we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And we're looking at purity and peace, and something that God desires from His children, from His own, is, uh, is what we're looking at. And I appreciate Pastor allowing me to preach while he's out, and, uh, but we will not waste any more time and, and get into Matthew chapter 5. And in verses 8 and 9 it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And most of us have heard this before, this message, something along these lines, called the Beatitudes. You know, you look at this chapter here, you look at these couple verses, it said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, and just list all the blessed are um, as you look at that. But we're also preparing, as we prayed this morning, for this upcoming revival, uh, upcoming revival in our own lives. Before it can ever reach anybody else, it needs to speak to us personally. Before revival can be shared with others, it needs to happen within our own lives. And so this morning, I want us to look at these things. And, you know, it's interesting how the Lord couples these two things together. These two last Beatitudes, verses 8 and 9, He links them in such a way that it leads us directly to God. You know, the other Beatitudes before this, kind of look at, you know, how God himself, every good thing comes from God, and we look to God, and we're looking at God for, for certain things, you know, comfort, um, inherit the earth, uh, obtain mercy. But then these last two right here in verses 8 and 9 really are coupled together to lead us directly to God. You know, when revival happens and it comes to our lives, we're not seeking anything from God. When revival truly happens, we start just getting excited about who God already is. We see Him for who He is. 
we have the right vision of God again. When it takes place in our lives, we, we start getting excited again just to know God and that we are able to know God through his word. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. Purity and peace is what it talks about. Blessed are the peacemakers, verses 8 and 9. You know, if you could take two words that describe God, it would be purity and peace. Let me ask you, though, can the same thing be said about us? Those that know us closest. Would purity and peace represent our lives? In a world that is chaotic, in a world that's constantly changing, growing more and more in sin, are we living with peace and purity in our hearts and in our minds? God wants purity and peace in our lives. God, in all His holiness and purity, desires for His children to look and to act like He does. The amazing thing here, though, is what constantly encompasses the Christian life. If you take your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to stay in Matthew 5, but just turning over a couple pages here to Matthew chapter 22. In verse 37 and 39 of Matthew 22, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's interesting that whenever we get the right view of God, the right love of God, it's something that doesn't just stay to ourselves. It's something that is shown to our neighbors. It's something that is shown to others that when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, then we can love our neighbors. There's an order to that. And again, are these markers and evident in our lives? Are we pure in our actions towards others? Are we peacemakers? And this morning, I want us to realize that God desires to make us what He wants us to be. And He can through His power. You see, the nearer we get to Christ, the more we become like Him. Even John said it best when he says, I must, He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and increase and increase in my life, talking about God, and I must decrease and decrease and decrease. When God gets big, everything else gets small. He comes in and crowds it out, the things that are not pure, things that should not be there. Let me ask you this morning, what comes, what comes first, purity or peace? In this chapter right here, in this Matthew chapter 5, what comes first, purity or peace? Purity. Purity always comes first before we can experience peace. James wrote about the wisdom that is from above and said, the wisdom from above is the first pure, is first pure and then is peaceable. What does that matter? Well, this morning, as you probably know, we're living in a world today that desires peace. That's all it talks about. Can we all just get along? Let's just have peace. Let's have peace. And they'll sacrifice peace at any price. 
This is not the peace that God desires in our lives. God's peace always grows out of truth. And it always begins with purity. Hebrews 12, 14. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. If you are in the habit of marking in your Bible, then I would encourage you to circle two words that I'll give to you in just a minute. If you're not, then, then don't. <laughs> Some people take offense to it, and that's fine. All right? But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14... It says in Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. The words that I would want you to circle is peace and holiness. Peace and purity. Peace and purity, and without which no man shall see the Lord. Remember that phrase, because now we're going back to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God. Living with a fresh vision of the Lord is what God desires for us. And where does that come from? Through purity. Purity brings you nearer to God. And peace enables you to bring God nearer to men. Let me say that again this morning. Purity brings you nearer to God. And peace brings God nearer to men. And the first we see the Lord, and the second others see the Lord in us. You see, whenever you get a glimpse of God, it changes you. Isaiah, when he got a glimpse of God, here's what he says, Woe is me, I'm undone, a man of unclean lips. You see, he realized how, how sinful he really was. Peter saw him and said, Lord, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. John saw him and fell at his feet and played dead. You see, when we see God for who he is, it changes us. We don't come out the same. When we get the vision of purity and holiness of God, it is evident to others that we've been in the presence of God. We've seen Him high and lifted up. And when we see God, all of a sudden, everyone else can start seeing God as well. How many of you this morning have friends and family members, co-workers, people around you that you would just desire for them to get a glimpse of God? Well, I'm going to tell you how they can. And number one, it starts with purity is to be our testimony with God. Purity is to be our testimony with God. It's an inward purity that we're talking about here, not an outward purity. You see, Christianity today, we've almost made this chart, and when we see others being faithful to God, and when we see others doing this and, and doing that, and they almost have this little check mark, and they're, and they're, and they're so, doing so much for God, that we think, oh, they must be pure. And we've almost characterized and, 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 and formalized or made a formula to what Christian Christianity really is. With outward traits 
And when people dot their I's and cross their T's, we automatically assume that they're pure. However, that's not what we focus on. Here is the focus of God and the person. No one else. You see, we could find the most faithful member in our church. You could look up here at this pastor and think, oh, well, he's preaching a sermon, and oh, he's, he's doing all this. And, and so, oh, this faithful member, and how, much, how faithful they've been for all these years. And you know what? It does not matter. Because we could all, we all have the potential of being a Pharisee, putting on a religious front, looking the part, and yet deep down inside, we're impure. You see, only God can dig down deep and uncover things in, in my life and in your life. You see, the greatest testimony of all is not what your family says about you. It's not what your children say about you. It's not what those around you, your coworkers say about you. The greatest testimony of all is when we stand and we kneel before, or we kneel before God at his throne. And we kneel at the feet of those nail-pierced feet. And we look up at him, and he's looking down at us into our eyes, and we realize, does our testimony match what others saw before God? When God sees you, what is your testimony like? What will it say about you before a holy and righteous God who knows everything about you? This morning, there's three aspects I want us to look at our testimony with God and the purity of it. And number, letter A is the depth of purity. How deep does purity go? It's not just a surface deep, it's all the way to the heart. It's not you and I looking good and for public consumption. It is what our inner core looks like before a holy and righteous God. This morning, I want to ask you a question, and don't answer out loud, but not, and I'm not asking, have you ever been? I'm not asking either, do others think that you are? But at this very moment, are you right with God? If you're waiting on the pastor this morning to call out specific sin, I'm not going to do it. See, I truly believe that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is already working in your life, as he did in mine. And as he continues to do in mine. You know, it's a, it's a cry of David in Psalm 51. Where he says, Dear God, purge me through and through. The words up there that even are found in Psalm 51 are, Wash me, are used twice. Cleanse me, purge me, blot out all mine iniquities. How deep is it? It's an innermost part to be washed, to be cleansed. Letter B, the length of purity. Pure in verse 8 is used for clothing. When we were in Haiti, we were sent there by the military, we hadn't showered in about two and a half months, and so we were all pretty dirty. And uh, we you know, had a little, little bit of water here and there that we would bathe with uh, every so often. And, um, but we were filthy. Our clothes were filthy. Finally, um, they brought in some showers after two and a half months of being there. And... Um, we, we had some of the locals, we paid some of the locals to wash our clothes for us. And what they did was they took these buckets of water, they soaked our clothes in it, and then they took, they took 
whatever material they had, and they started beating it together with our clothes in between. And they were pushing that water through with whatever objects they could find, and they were pushing the water through to cleanse out, to push any unclean dirt that was there. This is a term that was even used for back in the day. They would take two stones and they would push the water through and beat it with, with two rocks to clean the clothes out. The other thing that this is used for is farming. When they would, they would take the, the chaff and they would take the, the wheat and the, and the seed and they would make sure that they ground it up so much that there was no more stem left in that wheat. When they went to cook it and they went to make something with it, there, was, there wasn't a little piece of stick there. It was all cleaned out, nothing left except for that which was used for cooking with, the good stuff. Everything else had been, had been torn or pushed aside. You see, this purity is what the length of it is. It's, it's beating it out of our lives, so to speak. It's removing it, all of it, not just a little bit of it. Not just keeping a little bit of that dirt in there. Not just keeping a little bit of that chaff in there to, to keep it with the, with the wheat, but to remove all of it. You say, how does that, what does that really look like? It looks like Jesus Christ in our lives. When we compare ourselves to Christ, and we look and we see, is that the image that I'm looking like to others? Let her see the height of purity. It lifts us up to God. You see this word where it says, for they shall see God, is not just a future tense, it's a present tense right now. That we have the capability of seeing God. When all the junk is removed out of our lives, God can reveal himself to us. And I'm not talking about some weird spooky dream. But even in the way of nature, you can see God's handiwork. That when people are brought your way, you realize that that was a divine appointment from God. That you're, you're able to open up the word of God again and, and get truth from his word. To grow, it becomes a living book again. And we see God, the blinders are removed and we see God for who he is. In every aspect of our lives. You think about Daniel, God, where he, where he even realized later on in his life, people meant evil for it, but God meant it for good. The blinders were removed completely. Is that how we see the things in our lives? It's sad how many Christians are fumbling and, and, and going about their lives with blinders still on. And you know the real reason why they haven't taken those blinders off is because there's something that they want to hold on to that's between them and their Lord. There's a story about Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, on a train when he was a younger man, and he's sitting there talking with one of his buddies on this train, and they're talking about spiritual things. And this other gentleman across the aisle, who's in his 60s, and he's, he looks over at him, and he's, he's eating his food and drinking his wine, and he says to Charles Spurgeon and his friend, he said, I've been alive for 60 years and have never seen a spiritual thing. And Spurgeon said, no, I suppose you haven't. Because when you get all the junk in God's way, don't expect to see what God has for you. You see, there's so, much, so many things sometimes in our lives, and we're like, well, where's God in that? But again, don't expect to see God 
when we have all the junk in his way. You want a fresh glimpse of God? We really want revival in our church and the highways. and You really want revival to spread out? We need to get right with God. We need to remove some things in our lives. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 4. Again, towards the end of your Bible there, you have Hebrews and then James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 8. And it says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. I'm sorry, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What is he saying? Well, whenever I was a kid growing up, we, uh, I'm old enough to when you know, those streetlights came on, that's when you knew it was time to come inside. You know? and, and so one thing that mom would say is, wash your hands before you come sit down at the table. And one thing that we have to realize is this is the very first thing that God desires for us is to cleanse our hands, but it does not stop right there. You see, as a child, I had to get ready for dinner. I had to get ready for supper. And as Christians, we need to realize that there is a supper that's going to take place. We've already talked about it. We sang about it this morning. Sit at his table. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to take place. And James here is challenging Christians to say, hey, you know what? You need to wash for supper because at any minute it could happen. At any moment, Christ could come again or you could meet Christ in heaven. So we, you need to be clean. Cleanse your hands. But it's not just an outward look. It gets even deeper than that. And purify your hearts. Purify your hearts. You see that time when it's whenever we meet Christ in the air, when we see him face to face, it's too late to get our act cleaned up. It's too late then. There's things that right now we need to be doing. What is it that you don't want to meet God at the judgment seat with? Then can I challenge you to come to him this morning in mercy? Wash your hands and purify your hearts. Purity here in James chapter 4, 8 means singleness. Talking about you're not divided. You're one with Christ, with God, and your mindset. But you know what's interesting? You know why there's so many issues in marriage and churches and families? It's right there in James chapter 4, verse 8, where it talks about double-mindedness. See, sin always divides. And you know what Christ does? He always unites. The hardest thing, if I can be honest, is not just getting right with God. It's staying right with God. It's not just quickly washing of our hands and getting clean. It's when we sit down and we take that long bath with God, so to speak where we're open and we're honest. 
allowing him to come in and to expose all that is down deep. Staying right with God. Getting right with God seems to be easy. We go to God in prayer, we ask him for forgiveness, and you know what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And over and over, he forgives us. But then the challenge comes in staying right with God. James 4, 9, it says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Talking about the brokenness of our sin. It's talking about our sin, not someone else's sin, but our sin. And it's not talking about, though, remain that, in that way. We have a lot of Christians today that seem like they just stay in the state of mind, walking around mourning, sad, depressed. Someone called them Eeyore Christians. Oh, man, all's well. You know, just walking about, that's not what we're talking about. But to truly look and to think about these things and then just reflect on what is it that God is trying to clean in our lives. Get upset about our own sin. Be broken of our own sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, going back to that as well. The, the second point is this. Peace is to be our testimony with others. Peace is to be our testimony with others. To identify with others. Aren't you glad that Christ came to this earth to identify with you and me? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He left all of heaven, all of its glory, and came to this earth. 100% man, 100% God. He was tempted in all manners as we are, and yet without sin. You see, baptism, the first step after you're saved and following Christ is baptism. And last week we had a wonderful baptism if you were here. Lots of people getting baptized. Praise the Lord for that. But that's the first step in obedience to God. But it's an identifier to say to others that, hey, I'm following after Christ. I'm identifying with Christ. He, was, he came to this earth. He, was, he died on the cross for our sin. He was buried. He rose again in resurrection. It's a symbol. It's identifying with others. And why is that? Because Christ desires for us to identify with Him in our lives. You know, where it really gets tough is our relationship with others. We sing songs in church, we get excited, we come together, we're fellowshipping, and then we leave, and we get on the road, and we see the people that drive here in Land Lakes, you know? <laughs> and then all that peace, and all that lovey, Purity mindset goes right out the window. So it's, conti- it's continuing in that mindset, though. It's identifying with Christ before others. You know, it's hard to live in this world because sin just keeps getting dumber and dumber, does it not? The things that you just think, no way that makes any sense, and to someone it does. Why? Why? Because when you reject light, you get darkness. And when you reject truth and you believe a lie, then it's easy to believe other lies.
You know, it's hard even for Christians these days to re- realize which one, which media outlet is truth and what is true and what is actually going on. And, and we get in our flesh sometimes, even as Christians. And someone said it this, and I thought it was really good, that even religious flesh is just as bad as worldly flesh. Flesh is flesh. It's so easy to get in our flesh. It's so easy to get in our old nature again. And yet... He must increase and I must decrease. Letter A, first, you need to have peace with God. Some of you this morning, you want peace in your family, with your friends, coworkers. Well, first, you've got to have peace with God. Stop being an enemy of God who loves you and have peace with Him. Second, then you not only need to have peace with God, but you must learn to live in peace with God daily. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Meditate on His Word. Pray. Keep your heart on Him and His Word in you. Letter C. It is not, just so we're clear, it's not passive. It is active. This word here. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's an active fight. Peacemakers, not a peacekeeper. My brother and my two brothers and my dad work for the sheriff's department in Marion County. And they are not just peacekeepers, they're peacemakers. They go to a situation, they go to a scene, and they have to make peace. There's something there that has taken place, and now they have to go back and fix it and make peace where peace was no, never there sometimes. You know, as Christians in a world today, this is something that we need to be actively fighting for, being peacemakers. And we need to stop waiting for the world to initiate it. And as Christians, we need to initiate peace. For I'm thankful that Christ initiated his peace and love with me. For whenever I was a sinner, and we're all sinners, Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for all sin. And for all sinners... He initiated it first. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. But peace is not a divine human strength. Or I'm sorry, peace is a divine human strength. It only can come from God. It only comes from his power. And it's not something that we can have a sign-up sheet in the back and say, okay, everybody, whoever wants peace, sign up on the back table this week and we're going to mail it to you. It doesn't happen that way. I wish it did. It doesn't. It's something that we all have to search the Lord for. Grow in Christ, and it comes out of our growth in Him. See, Satan is a chief troublemaker. He he loves to stir it up, double-mindedness. And if Satan is a chief troublemaker, then Christ is the chief peacemaker. And what's interesting is he didn't compromise truth to do it. He did it through his mercy through his love. You know what our families need in our church today? Peacemakers. You know what churches need with other church members? Peacemakers. People who can hold their tongues and not say just what comes on their mind. The world, you know what the world needs? Peacemakers. There's a story of Charles Stanley, and I won't get into it too much, but he wrote the song, Nothing Between 
my soul and the Savior. Nothing between my soul and Savior, not of this world's delusion, delusious, or I'm sorry, delusious dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. I wonder this morning if you can say that. There's nothing between my soul and the Savior. You know, most of the times, though, I wake up in the morning, and I don't see my second father. I see my first father. I see Adam in me. I see the sins of my father. It takes work to become more and more like our second father, Jesus Christ. There's a, I'll leave you with this as well. There's a story of, in Chicago long, many years ago of an older lady, and she was at the market, and she saw a little boy there who was sitting there, and she could tell he didn't have a lot of money or clothes and food, so she went out, and she, she took him shopping, and she bought him some clothes, and she took him out to the, to the diner across the street and, and got him some food. And before he, the little boy left, he looked up at her and said, are you Jesus' mother? Aww. And the lady said, no, but I am his child. And he said, I knew you were related to him somehow. Aww. You know, I wonder the people that are around us, if that's what they think of us, that we're somehow related to Jesus Christ. That others may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. But I'm afraid that after we leave this place so often, we go out into those streets and we look just like everyone else, myself included. It's so easy to blend in, and yet God desires for us to be peacemakers. To look like him, to act like him, to, to allow him to search our hearts and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that we may be able to have peace with others because we have peace with him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And this morning, with head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you know that if you were to die today, that heaven is your home, you know that for sure, would you raise your hand? No one's looking around. All right, you may put your hands down. If you are here this morning... And you're not sure that if you were to die today, that heaven is your home. There's never been a time where you accepted Christ as your Savior. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to go to you. But would you just simply raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Would you just simply raise your hand? Let me put your hand down. Lord, I pray for this one that raised their hand. Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart. Lord, to know that you love him or them so much that you are willing to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and that whosoever believeth in you should not perish but have everlasting life. And no one looking around, those of you that raise your hand, if you would simply, in your own thoughts or mind, you can say something like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve hell. But I believe that you sent your son to die on this cross. And to die for my sin. 
to pay the price that I should have paid on that cross. And the best way I know how, I believe that Christ did that for me and that he rose again from the grave. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you. If you did that this morning, would you simply raise your hand? All right. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room. I pray, Lord, for the Christians at this time. Those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the pianist is about to play, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. If you're able to, physically able, I want you to either stand or kneel at your seat in just a second. I believe this morning God has laid something on your heart, as I know he has mine in the preparation of this message. So this morning I'm going to ask that whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, maybe it's to be a peacemaker. Maybe it's something along the lines of purity and there's something that you know God desires for you to get rid of or to start doing in your life. And you just for so long held on to it, not letting it go. I want you to either stand or kneel where you're at and pray. The reason why is because in the Bible we only see of two different positions. We see kneeling or prostrate on the ground or standing before God, a righteous king. So if you're physically able as a pianist starts to play... Maybe there's a person that God has laid on your mind and you need to talk to this week. Make things right. Remove any kind of double-mindedness in your life, in your family, in your home, or envy or strife or anger. Now's the time. You may stand or you may kneel if you're physically able. Maybe it's just even to pray that we may see Christ as he is. Have the right vision again of God in our lives and that others may see God in us. Maybe it's for God to bring you nearer to him. Whatever it is at this time, may we pray, prepare our hearts for the revival. love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this challenge that you brought to us this morning. Help us to leave here staying in fellowship with you, keeping our vision of you in its rightful place. Lord, help us to decrease so that you may increase in our lives. We love you, and we thank you for this message this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.